If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Think about quitting. It's the combat of life hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off. And to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their lives. You fire me up, Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Have you ever been there and seen that and heard that? Have you ever heard? I've not. I've Holy not. cow! You you've been there, dude. You know Tennessee, what? Right? That's what they kept telling me last year when I went up for it with the Chris Kyle Foundation. Tay invited me to go up and be part of his pick crew thing, and they just kept saying, "Wait till you hear the start. Wait till." And I'm like, "Dude, you know, bro, we were in." Coronado, uh-huh. man, I'd go be getting my ass kicked on the beach, and there'd be F-15s flying over, you know? I had, I had a daily flyover, and, like, and the worst... Whifty dang. Yeah, I was like, all right, this is all right. Oh, yeah, that's super so we go up, we, this, this lady, Rita, <laughs> who's the most wonderful woman in the world. Rita, I love you if you're listener. She's uh, on the uh, Indianapolis Fire Department. She's the AO for that. I mean, she's one. She, go, she took me to our seat, like, on the 50-yard line for this thing. And it starts, and brother, that was cool, <laughs> dude. Wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just cool. <laughs> I mean, the wah, wah, wah. you know, they're revving that. Wah, wah. Have you ever been to a, a drag race with the dragsters? No. So I get to do that uh, last year. We were up there with, with the team and the owner of the, uh, the car. He's like, hey, come with me. And Mojo and I were walking up behind, behind the car. Yeah. He's like, no, no, we're going to get a little closer. And I mean, bro, from me to you, we were standing next to that sucker. <laughs> when that green light fell and he opened up on that, it's, it's a, you know, one of those. <laughs> oh, he going to get your attention fast, yeah. man. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal, man. When you think about racing, honest to God, Wizard, when you think about because I know you like to go fast, bro. All right. When you think about racing, track racing, Baja, whatever, you know, whatever it is, whatever you got that vehicle going at 
top speed and hazardous conditions, one of the most captivating components of it are the crashes. When people at speed have these horrific crashes, it's and it's one of those things you can't look away from, right? You know how devastating they are. You know how destructive they are. Well, there's not a pattern to it. There's no you don't there's no you don't know the outcome. When something catastrophic goes down in front of you, and even a lot of events, man, you can anticipate the ending, right? Right. <clears throat> when you got something going this fast with this much metal, and T- TV really doesn't do it justice. You know as well as I do. When you're down on that track, man, they come zipping past you. Oh, and they're already a whole different back, world. Yeah, they're already coming well, back around one more time. Oh, bro. And if you watch our guest crash, this thing is just, watch, he comes around here, and whambo, the whole thing catches on fire. The whole front right strut just disintegrates. There's no tire. There's no nothing. And the dude apparently is going some ungodly amount of speed on the... 120 miles an hour. Brother, think about that impact, dude. Because oh, he man. did... It's not like he cur- he like went around and was like... And like... He went... Well, wha- I know. well what's the fastest... Ex- what's the fastest crash you've ever been in? Me? How fast are you going? Oh, man, that's a good one. When you actually hit something. Like full-blown hit? Maybe you were going 100, hit the brakes, hit the thing going 25. <laughs> I don't know. Every time we jump 30? out of airplanes, I hit the earth pretty damn fast. <laughs> <laughs> that is a crash. You know what I mean? That is a crash. I crashed, man. Oh, at least that's what I There was no back. My teammates always called it that. It was a crash for you, wasn't it? And that's fast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to ask you, what's the fa- what is the fastest you've been going when you've been in a vehicle accident? Dude, I don't get in many wrecks, bro. I'm a great driver. Ever been in one? I've been in wrecks, but I'm oh, yeah. they 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 haven't been consequential wrecks. Let's just say the average, and I don't know what it is. Let's say the average is you're traveling 45 miles an hour. You hit the brakes before the impact. You actually slow yourself to maybe 20 miles an hour. Sure. So what we need to do now to understand this wreck. Whatever force that person felt in that accident, the listener at home, think about that accident. Now multiply that by eleven. That's a that's a truckload. Yeah. Truck. So when when accidents on I'm the trying to put that in perspective, because when you watch the video, yeah, it looks really bad, but you still don't understand. No, oh, you yeah, can't. No, yeah, I get oh. yeah. Definitely there. You know, yeah, you're right. There's nothing else to measure it off of. What you, I love, you physically can't get into something like that. There, it's and, it's one of a kind. Yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. One Couple of a kind. People. What I love, though, and I flip right over and go to this video with him in his Dancing with the Stars solo intro, is a year later, the dude's competing on Dancing with the Star, looking good, looking ripped. He's dancing it up. He gets the pole position at the 2016 Indy 500, the 100-year anniversary, and the guy's kicking ass, man. Yeah, so he, for- crashed, he, he crashed in the previous year's Indy. Recovers far t- far faster than ever expected. Comes back and wins pole position the very next year. Brother, if that ain't never quit, I don't know what is, man. I mean, that fires me up. And by the way, the dude was impaled. And I hope he talks about that because I, I, I remember going through 18 Delta and we talked about that stuff, the impalements. Yeah, and Somali's, oh, Somali experiments. Bro. Dude. But that was like a piece of the suspension, correct? When it was one of the struts that holds his wheel, his front right wheel in place, detached, went through the frame of his car and went and basically shish kebobbed him 
through his his gluteus region. Yeah, I imagine they'd had to cut that yeah, like all cut the that way bar in half just all to get him out of the car. Oh, bro, they were chopping at this this whole Santo emergency medical crew, dude. I got a ch- last year. I got a chance to talk to the doc that saved his life on the field. Literally, as he was bleeding out, he shoved his fist in him in James. Put, shoved his fist to tampon off the bleed and saved this dude's life right there. I talked to that guy, brother. And Doc, man, if you're listening to this show, dude, you are a hero, man. Hands down. And he was so humble, so cool, this young dude. He was, he's mm. badass, right? Such a humble dude, man. And he was awesome, dude. He saved his life. Because that got him to the next medic in the rig, and then they got him to the Doc, mm-hmm. and then the Doc saves his life and all that, man. But, dude. Golden, golden th- hour. Right? Right? So when you think about James Hinchcliffe, and that's our guest today, and if you're this is the first time you're coming to the Team Never Quit podcast, get ready for the ride of your life because this show is going to deliver you that you can literally come within into an inch of your death, and if you're determined, fight back to go to the top of your game. It's just a question of whether or not you don't want to quit. And that's what James Hensclick is going to teach you. Man, if you're a regular and you're coming back, God bless you. We love you so much, man. Because without you, we would not have what we have. Right, gents? Absolutely. We would mm-hmm. not be where we are. And we are so proud, so privileged to have you. All, all 2.7 million times you've downloaded our show and listened to them to gain the information that's going to help you overcome adversity you know, just launch over these challenging obstacles of life to stay in the combat of life and to go racing past the negative insurgency. That's what we do. That's what we do. And if you want to know more, please visit our website at tnqpodcast.com. Follow us on Team Never Quit social media. And if you really want, the best thing I recommend is go to your phone, find us on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and brother, you can get revved up every day you want, morning, noon, or night, whether you're PTing, whether you're at work, or whether you're just driving the family truckster as fast as you can down the highway because you're late to work, you can listen to us. So... That being said, man, Wizard, could you give us a little bit about James Hedgecliffe? Yeah, let's just hit the facts here real quick, give an overview of who he is, what he's done. So James Hinchcliffe, uh, born in Ontario, Canada. He's in um, Canuckland. I love those guys. Hey, uh, His current race team is Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. That's in the IndyCar series. So this is the IndyCar and Formula One is the same thing. Right? No, totally different. Totally oh, different rides. Totally I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, bro, you just, what, you take your car from here, you go over to Europe, you drive around Monaco, you gamble, you come back. Negative. Have some cheese curds in between the 500 while you're pitting. No, bro, they're different. Formula One and Indy cars are the same ride. No. No way. Formula One racing is car. Completely. But then again, I might just be. So there talking is a difference between F1 cars and Indy cars, as per our resident uh, race pit ding, crew ding, ding, expert. Ding, 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 Give that man a prize. One big difference is that F1 cars <laughs> use high octane gas. That's me, high octane. No, you are. What did I call you? 
He called me a, a radioactive scared. caffeine. Yeah, yeah. IndyCars were on ethanol, which is alcohol. IndyCars predominantly, like predominantly race on oval tracks, while the F1 uh, used street circuits. There you have it. Well, this uh, uh, the, the cars aren't different. The tracks are. Well, it says here F1 cars have better brakes and stop much faster. Okay, can we just down to the moron like the aesthetics? Is it does it look the same? It looks pretty damn similar. <laughs> I'll give you that. It looks pretty damn similar. I'll give you that. I was confused. I'll give you that, dude. Yeah, right, I'll give you that. Check in front. Yeah, the, check. Know. All right, they got the. There's aerodynamic. Talk about a stock car. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So he's currently racing in the Indy Car Series. Yes. He's uh he's 30 series, years old right. right now. He started into this whole thing, I believe, back when he was 16, 17. That was with Harding, uh, Formula BMW series, and then I guess his first big break, as you call it, is he moved into the A1 Grand Prix in 2007. After that, uh, Firestone Indy Lights series for about a year, and then he gets his big shot 2011 in the IndyCar series. Starts with Newman Haas Racing and Andretti Motorsport, finally with Schmidt-Peterson. Then in 2015 is when the big accident happens oh. we've been talking about. That's 2015 during a practice uh, at the Indy 500 coming back to win pole position the following year in 2016. One uh, additional note, totally related, he was on Dancing with the Stars, where he won second place with his partner, Shauna Burgess. Hey, wasn't that the same year that mm, Governor Rancher. Perry? Yeah, Rancher's on there. Perry, he's uh-huh. on there? Uh-huh. Man, that was a good season. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good season. I dig it. Hey, you know what is awesome, and I, I got to give a shout-out to him, is the man mm. that brought him to us, dude. Mr. Jim Leo from Pit Fit in Indianapolis, who is by far one of the most knowledgeable dudes I've ever, ever met in terms of fitness related. And he is the fit trainer of all the top drivers in Indy, man. He is a bad ass dude, right? Dixon, Hinchcliffe, mm. all Pippa, all these pre- people, they go to gym and he's got these awesome things. So I want to just say, first off, you know, Jim, thank you so much for, you know, introducing us to your buddy and for allowing us to get James on the show. Absolutely, man. That, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. What do you say we get this thing revved up and we get old James Hancliffe on here? Let's do it. All right, gentlemen, start your engines. All right, Marcus, here's the deal, brother. Here's the deal. I feel like I'm going 200 miles an hour, day in, day out, all the time. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even begin to imagine what what that would feel like for real. Trust me, I've tried. I could never get a Humvee up that fast, right? Right, yeah. Do you feel that? The governors, right? The governors, they put on them for us. They just (laughs) suck, right? But the the idea of speed and, and the beauty of it, it just, it warms, it warms, I'm going to say it again, the cockles of my heart, right? right yeah. And, and so being again? able to bring, bring this guy on is like the coolest thing in the whole world because I love speed. And I know you love speed. Oh, yeah. It's addicting. Is, I got to stay away from Wizard, <laughs> I know you love speed, man. I'm afraid of speed. <laughs> no, I'm afraid of you myself the- with speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I, I think I just want to get at this because I know this guy is going to inspire our audience in ways that's going to take them to Mach 10, brother. Mach 10 today. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, 
Welcome to the Henchtown Mayor himself. <laughs> James, how you doing, brother? I'm doing very well, guys. How about you? Right. We are above dirt, and that's a glorious thing. Yeah, right there. That's about Everything it. Everything else is good. That's about it. That's and we got you on here, which is which is awesome. And so it's even better now. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. We're podcasting, and, and, and we have, yeah, exactly. I'm sitting here face-to-face talking to you. That, One that's of the best pretty indie cool, drivers man. there is know, on the that, planet. That's just cool to me. I, <laughs> I'm so damn thankful we could do that. Thank you. Well, I, I just, again, want to give a shout-out. I did it before to, to Jim Leo of PitFit, man, for hooking this up. I love you, Jim. You are by far one of the coolest mugs I've ever met in my life, and thank you for giving us access to your wonderful friend here. So, all right. So, James, what we have to do is we have to warm up, right? We got to get your engine going, right? The engine of your mind. We have to rev it up. Get the RPMs going a little bit. Plus, we're knuckle draggers, so we always have to limber up a little bit. So, so we're going to get warmed up with something we call the Mad Minute. Now, this is a free fire zone. This is, this is all out. This is pedal to the metal and the most difficult questions that you'll ever face in the history of any interview you've ever done. <laughs> all right. I like it. I all like right. the challenge. Uh, good. I know you do. I know you do. So, so are, are you prepared for the Mad Minute? Bring, bring it on. All right. your worst. Marcus, fire away, bud. All right, brother. First car. Uh, it was a Mini Cooper. Dude. Really? Okay, so here's, here's there's a bit of a story. A bit of an <laughs> is it, is this kind of do, do it, Really? Do I get a chance to explain? Or yes, do I just have no, to it no, no. We need <laughs> to hear this. You, you should. Okay, all right. So here's the deal. All right, so I, I grew up in Toronto, right? But my dad, he's from England. Okay. Okay. And when he, his first car, when he was like 17 years old, was like a 1959 Austin Cooper back then. So the original, original, right, yep. original Mini Very Cooper. Very cool. So when when BMW re-released the car in 2003, Dad was kind of going through a midlife crisis, you know, and so he he wanted to buy one and kind of bring it back. So he he bought this kind of like weekend car for himself, bring it back to his youth or whatever. Couple months later, I got my license and didn't have a car, and so I would always try and borrow a car. And so Dad always had his normal car, so I would start taking the mini. And I kept buying it. Months eventually, I just stopped giving the keys back and inadvertently kind of took it over. <laughs> no, I, I, that's even better because you basically you pirated his car. I like that. Remember the <laughs> I, the movie The Italian Job when that oh. right, when Charlie's and they were jamming through those that oh. Mini Cooper. <laughs> even I wanted to drive one of those. It's, it's, <laughs> well, right. And, Hundred percent. Here's the best part. Here's the best part. The Italian Job was a remake, right? And the original movie with Michael Caine used the original minis back in the day. And my dad used to show us that all the time as kids. It's one of his favorite movies. So when the new one came out, I mean, before this Italian Job came out, I was already doing that. Ah, you know what? You got the total pass on that story. (laughs) Absolutely. That's actually like the coolest. (laughs) When he says to Mini Cooper, he's like, wait, there sounds like it had to be the Italian job. That's something (laughs) that popped in my head. Because I would have drove the piss out of one, too. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Awesome answer. All right, Wizard, fire away. All right, since we're on the theme of old and then old made new, let's go with who who is the better James Bond, Sean Connery or Daniel Craig? Well, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go classic on this one. I'm gonna say Sean Connery. Oh, 
Why? Hoback. Because his dad's Cause British and you know Connery. he loves Sean oh, right. Connery. Yeah, and, he, and he drove the Aston Martin. He drove the DB4. You know, like he, man, he, cool, he was man. the original, right? Like he's the OG. And he's I mean, cool. yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the Daniel Craig movies. Uh, it sucks that he like wanted out of the franchise, but yeah. then they literally announced like two days ago he's back in. That was kind of like, why would you not want to be James Bond? Right? I don't get it. I think he's get, right? getting beat up. <laughs> hurt, man. Yeah, well, fair. I mean, fair. beat to death. Apparently, well, wow, you like, can't yeah. do many like drama love movies Plus if James you're James Bond. Bond you're right? gonna get your ass beat up. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. If you could go back to any period in history, right, and race some type of mode of transportation in that history, when would it be, and what would it would you race? So it would probably be like late seventies, early eighties Formula One cars. Um, you know, racing against you know my old hero Gilles uh, Villeneuve. You know, Canadian superstar. Um, th- those things just nothing but raw power. It was before aerodynamics really came into play, so it was mechanical grip and horsepower, and you had to wrestle those things. Man, they were beasts to drive, and the old footage watching those guys is just incredible. So I'd love to take a crack at that. Have you ever gotten to drive one though, in like a one that they pause, they've got in a museum or something like that? No, not yet. I mean, it's very much, it's very much uh, on the list. You know, that like that era, that era of Formula One cars, and then kind of like the early '90s era Indy cars, right. similar kind of thing. The Indy cars by that point, aerodynamics were a little bit of a bigger part. But you know, I, I live in Indianapolis now, and the and the Motor Speedway Museum is is just down the street from me. And, you know, one of my other racing heroes was Jacques Villeneuve, who won the Indy 500 right. in, uh, in 1995. And, and his winning car sits there in the museum. And every time I go there, I'm, I point at him like, I will drive you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make that happen. So just just be ready. I love it, dude. I love it. I love it. I've been I've been to that museum too, man. Oh, it's really so something. Cool. Yeah, I love it. I one of my it. favorite museums out there, dude. It is to see the tr- uh, progression of, uh, of the cars. Absolutely. And It'd be interesting, like you said, you want to drive it just to drive it, but the, the attitude that you have when you get out of it, right? Like what those guys had, to, with, like with pilots, fly by the seat of your pants. Yep. Them dudes were stick and seat and, and going, oh. man. Cowboys, man. I mean, those guys were gladiators Ooh. compared to us. I'll admit that right now. <laughs> All right, fire yeah, away. The speed, though. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Rabbit hole. Yeah, sorry. All right, favorite superhero. Oh, man. Oh, uh, Iron Man. Nice, nice. We don't yeah. get many Iron Man on there, mm. James. So I, I like where you're coming from. And it's thank the most God- realistic, right? I mean, like you have to get bit by a radioactive spider. That's that's a tough. That's a tough one to do. You have to come. <laughs> Tell from me a about it. Planet. Tell me about it, dude. <laughs> right? I've I've tried. Trust me, I've tried to find that right radioactive spider to make me cling on walls, and it's just hard to do. You know, it's hard to be from Krypton. That's it not is. an easy place uh. to get to. Traffic's a bitch. And so, like, the most realistic one is just become, like, an uber billionaire and build yourself some badass suit and drive an Audi R8. It sounds like a great life. Because it is. It's He's possible. On point. I, I know, right? You see his point, man. That's a solid answer. <clears throat> because you know when you're talking like that in his head, because in mine, I'm in the Iron Man suit, right? And you're like, oh, so cool. Right? Totally. Because the billionaires can totally get that done, right? We need to just. 100%. Hope we're around. Oh, we're around. See that's that. awesome. You know, just, just a Elon, Elon Musk could probably build that suit if he gave him enough time. Oh, uh, you know he's already trying, man. He's, right. Once he figures <laughs> yeah. out this whole space thing from like uh, up and down real fast, oh, sure. like, it's on, dude. All right, Wizard, hit him up. He's on a roll. 
Okay, I got, uh, if you could no longer be in the IndyCar series, I'm going to give you three alternative choices. One, circle eight track racing school buses. Two, <laughs> got a shot at us the right European next. truck racing championship, which for those who don't uh, know is road racing semi-trucks. And three, back to the figure eight track again, trailer racing. This is, uh, you pull your mobile home behind your, <laughs> this is shot at your vehicle, right your, next, your pull vehicle of choice. Which <laughs> man? What are you you've most given interested me in? So many stellar options to choose from. It's funny because normally when people ask me about what I would do if I wasn't a driver, I say I would deliver pizzas really fast <laughs> in a Mini Cooper. <laughs> in a, in mini, a mini Cooper, Cooper. <laughs> right? If yeah. I can carry gold through a house, like we can get pizzas through a neighborhood, no problem. Absolutely. But that's not an option. So you know what's funny, man? It's because like not a lot of people know about the truck racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually one of my sponsors sponsors one of those things and we've been trying to organize like a ride swap where i got to go over to europe and drive one. Oh, of course. And oh that's cool they awesome. actually look they actually look like pretty cool there's an insane amount of engineering that goes into making a semi worthy of racing on as like a road circuit so i think kind of sticking to my roots i'd probably go with that nice. I and like i also it. think you're less likely to like die in a horrible fiery crash than anything <laughs> on a figure eight track <laughs> You remember the first, the opening scene of Smokey and the Bandit, the snowman's on that track racing his rig. Remember that? That's like snow, uh, Smokey and the Bandit, like four, though. Oh, was it? Yeah, it wasn't oh. the first one. Well, whatever, I digress. It's a lot cooler <laughs> when it was the first one, I thought. All right, we'll play the first one. <laughs> all right, all right. Last question of the Mad Minute. If you, what is the best thing that you do in your life, you do slowly? Oh, man. You know what? So, like, my, my other big hobby, my other big passion, really, is uh, scuba diving. Awesome. And, you know, that because it's the exact opposite of the rest of my life. It's slow pace. It's, mm. you know, you're kind of the outsider. There's no phones. There's no email. There's no one telling you where to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that you do at a nice, slow, calm pace. So that's probably the, the big thing that I do slowly. I love it, man. Ooh. That's a great, great answer. That's, that's true. That's on point, man. Yeah. There's nothing fast happens underwater. For me, it took it took me like about ten years though to want to actually go scuba diving after I got out though. <laughs> yeah, that's it. yeah, I didn't want to get near the water for like ten years, dude. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, all right. Thank you so much, James. That is the mad ten minutes. Uh, I appreciate your incredible answers in that. Uh, but now let's that get was good, man. let's get serious. Let's. Let's shift gears a little bit and get to the meat and potatoes of why people come to the show. We have listeners listening all around the world coming here because they want to hear people that are filled with these incredible stories about how they overcame adversity or, or, or jumped across the major obstacles of their life and came back with such resilience and strength like you. So, James, if you could please share with our listeners your greatest never quit story or stories, please. All right. Well, uh, let's continue on with the car theme. Buckle up. Uh, here we go. <laughs> in, in practicing for uh, the Indianapolis 500 back in 20, 2015, 20, my car suffered a mechanical failure. And in the middle of the corner, rather than turning straight, I basically lost all steering and went straight into a wall at 225 miles an hour. <sighs> Um, we have a little black box in the car like you would on an airplane. And that told us that when I hit the wall, I hit with 125 G's of force. 
Is so, you that... know, a fighter pilot is about wow. nine Gs, you yeah, know, right. taking off to go into space <laughs> is about six, five or six Gs. I hit with 125 Gs. Oh, my God. And, and that wasn't even the worst part. That sounds pretty we, bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that alone right there, bad, that man. just like that just hurt me thinking about it. Not speed that kills, right? The sudden yeah, stops. Don't get me wrong. Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh yeah, don't get me wrong. That part didn't tickle, but uh the about it was when I hit a part of the suspension, a metal rod about, you know, bigger than I can show you on this, actually pierced the cockpit of the car and it went straight through my body. Ooh. So I essentially got shish kebobbed oh. i was speared by this piece of, of metal and when that happened it actually hit my femoral artery in my left leg Ooh. and i was very quickly bleeding to death through the remarkable work of of a lot of different people but starting with the safety team that travels with indycar to all of our races um, they're all either firefighters doctors emts uh, tons of experience we're the only racing series on earth that has a dedicated safety crew that comes to all of our events um, they managed to, you know, extract me from the, get the rod out of me, uh, try and stop the bleeding as best they could. Got me into an ambulance, started pumping me uh, full of fluid. Um, got me to a hospital. You know, luckily Indianapolis is the closest racetrack to a level one trauma center that we see all year long. Wow. And were, you, were you out? I'm a, sorry. I, I just real quick. Are you were you out or were you still conscious? Yeah, good question. So when I when I hit the hit the wall, I, I was massively concussed. So when they got to the car, I was still conscious, but I was I don't remember it. Sure. I was very Thank very God. out of it. Um, in the ambulance is when I kind of started going in and out of consciousness as I was you know losing a lot of blood. Um, they got me to the hospital. They got me in the, the OR or the ER first plugged, you know, needles in each arm to try and, uh, try and start pumping blood into me. But it was, it was coming out almost as fast as it was going in. So they realized whatever the hole was, was pretty big. Uh, got me straight up into the operating room in the elevator. The doctor actually lost my pulse. Uh, but we got into the operating room. He got me open, found the problem and, and fixed it. When you talk to him about it, he says 90 seconds to two minutes is, is what we had left before it wouldn't have been able to get you back. So, as I said, I didn't remember any of this part. Last thing I remember, I was driving my race car and everything was just fine. And then in the blink of an eye, I wake up to six bright lights in a room full of panicked people. Um, I'm in a neck brace. I'm on a ventilator. I can only talk with pen and a piece of paper. And, uh, you know, they we make the joke that racing drivers are wired wrong and the proof's right here. Cause my, my third question that I wrote down was when can I get back in a race car? <laughs> That's nuts. By the way, I'm <laughs> not going to lie to you, James. That's a little crazy. Yeah. The doctors were a little pissed when I said that. Cause they're like all the hard work we just did to save your life. And you want to jump right back in the thing that nearly killed you. I said, Y E S exclamation uh, mark. Wow. So, you know, the, the big thing for me was just, you know, when you wake up in that kind of scenario, you're very disoriented. You know, I'm still concussed probably at that point. And um, understanding what happened was very difficult. I, they were, because the, the type of injury I had was incredibly rare. We've never heard of a guy get stabbed quite like that by a piece of the car. So it, I was really having a hard time understanding what they were telling me in terms of what had happened. Most likely, it was all going to work out fine. You're going to be able to drive again. And that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> From that point forward, nothing else mattered but doing what I had to do to get myself healthy and fit 
to get back into a race car. And, you know, when I, when I, when I woke up that day, they told me that I probably wouldn't walk for about two weeks. I probably wouldn't, uh, get out of hospital for about a month and I wouldn't drive a race car for seven months. I walked on day four. I got out of the hospital in 10 days and I drove a race car four months later, almost to the oh day. Oh my gosh. Awesome. That's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a lot of great people, you know, helping me out from all the doctors and nurses and everybody that took care of me, my family once I moved back home. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was it was that motivation, you know, so again, a switch was flipped in my brain. And it's like, all right, all I need to do now is take that. What I did is I took that competitive energy that you have as an athlete. And rather than having to apply it to some race or some game or some competition, my, my competition, my challenge was, all right, how do I get back as quickly as possible? What do I have to do? Who do I have to listen to? How hard can I push? You know, what, what do I have? Whatever's in my control, I will control in a way that gets me back in a car as soon as I can. I love that aspect of competition mm. as a driving force, right? It, it's, you know, I've been an athlete since I was a kid and I feel that every day and all that I do. And, but in terms of being able to redirect a, a strong point in your professional life into a personal aspect, because healing is so substantial, especially when you're looking at the magnitude of injury you had, your, how the fact that you actually died and came back a couple of times, uh, you know, trying to overcome that, did that, did it play a role in any of your mind? Did you ever say, well, maybe I should think about this. Maybe I should take a step back and be like, you know, I, I got to think about big picture long term. Did that ever enter your mind? No, not for a second, which is like I said, why we're wired wrong. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think we're born without that self-preservation gene that most humans have because, uh, you know, trying to rush back into that scenario seems, it seems insane, but my entire life had been dedicated to one thing, which was, was, was racing. And, uh, the fact that I had even made it to this level, I was, I'm so lucky, you know, I've had, I've had so many incredible opportunities that so many people don't get. And even though it got to a point where, you know, it, it didn't really cost me my life, the fact that I was going to be physically able to do it again, I thought I, I can't waste that. You know, there's so many people that tried and, and didn't get that opportunity. And for them, as much as anything, if I'm still physically able to do it, I want to get back it, out there and, and still do it. Uh, I love Great that. point. It's funny when the doctors, the Hippocratic Oath, man, do no harm. They're great at what they do. And you tell them like, hey, when can I get back online? Like, well, they can kind of get irritated. I'm like, well, what was the point of saving me then? Because before this, yeah. <laughs> I, you were happy I was doing this. Everybody's having a great time and, and all about it. And then you get hurt doing it and then you get put back together. A lot of people, when they get injured, they come back, they fear that injury. But if you look at it as an athlete, as you're training in every aspect of that, crashing and almost dying is part of that training. Hopefully, most people are afraid of it. So you learn to be good enough to avoid it. But you've been trained to hit the wall, and now you know you can live through it, right? So in your head, you're like, man, all right, I've, I've taken it about as far as I can and, and survived that one, too. Now I know the line. I can push myself. I have the capability of surviving a crash and getting back online and pushing forward. And it's, it's one of those deals when you get hurt. You're starting all the way over in the beginner cycle, but you have the knowledge up in your head. And your body remembers it. It's an awesome mechanism, right, that muscle memory. So if you... 
if you're still beating your mind, your body's not going to progress as fast as it it should. And since you were, all you want to do is get back on the line and, and because you, like I said, the, the, the wreck part was blocked out, man. Well, that's even better. And that's, that's why you can go faster, recover faster. Everything falls back into place. And if you're not hurt up here, then your body's not going to be hurt. It, it, it heals itself and it keeps pushing. And the scar is a cool reminder of how far you can freaking go. <laughs> What's it's true. I mean, the, uh, James, you know, did that actually make you a better driver? You know what? I, I, I've said from, from day one that it, it didn't change me professionally in the sense that I'm just as hungry. I'm not, I'm not more timid. You know, I, I'll still take the same calculated risks that I did before. Um, it changed me personally in a lot of ways. How so? And ultimately, for the better. I mean, I think I think I I've always tried very hard to be one of the people that really appreciates where they're at, you know, in life. I'm very lucky to get to do what I do, oh. and I and I've never taken mm-hmm. that, you know, for granted. But I I think I appreciated the little things a lot more after the fact. You know, I the day that I could put my socks on by myself again, like I was nearly in tears standing in my closet. Because for two and a half months, I needed somebody to do that for me. And it's something you do every day and you just take it for granted. It's one of those things, man. When it's your time, it's your time. And you never know when that's going to come. It could be tomorrow walking across the street, you get hit by a bus. Things happen, you know. And uh, you really try and live. There's this saying, and I I don't know who said it, but it really is how I conduct myself now. It's live each day as if it's your last because one day you'll be right. Amen to that. That's for sure. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that we always like to talk about, and you referenced it a couple of times here, whether it was, you know, um, the emergency crew that saved your life on the track, whether it was your actual crew that gets your car ready every day, or it's your family at home putting your socks on. How important are the teams around you in your life and in, in, in terms of fulfilling that gratitude? How, do you lean on them extensively? Do you, how do you work those relationships so they continue to flourish and, and be nurtured in, in really kind of a, a, a pretty extreme lifestyle that you live? Yeah, I mean, it, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you've got to surround yourself with a very specific kind of person, you know, to to kind of get through what we do. And, um, you know, luckily, the from the from the medical and the safety side, I mean, those people are provided for us uh, in the IndyCar world. And, you know, that the level of comfort you have knowing that that quality and that caliber of person is going to be there if something does go wrong, it does make you sleep better at night. And then, you know, seeing how certain friends and certain family members, you know, rallied around uh, what happened and, and, and everybody kind of had this ad- the same attitude that I almost did. It's like, all right, this has happened. There's nothing we can do about that now. What do we need to do to get it better, to get back to where we're going? And seeing how people react and behave in those kind of situations, you know, I think it really bonds people and brings them together. And, you know, you'd like to think that if the situation was reversed and they needed someone in the same capacity you know, that you would be able to just drop it all and do what, exactly what you had to do and play your part to get them back to where they needed to be. And I think it's just a nice, it's a nice comforting place to be in. And, and some of those relationships have definitely grown stronger as a result. Awesome, man. I love that answer, mm-hmm. dude. I love it. I, I have a question. It might seem a little bit delayed or out of order here, but I know it's important for our listeners to kind of have a picture of, to put themselves and understand how significant your injury was and what it was like to hit the wall at that speed and all that. And 
I wonder if you can just kind of give us an idea of what it's like being out there on the track, what it's like being a driver out there on the course, as well as the team, kind of the team that surrounds you, because this is what the pinnacle of technology as far as motorsports goes, is from what I understand. And I know your team has a lot of technical support around you, but can you kind of give us an idea of what it's like to be out there on the track? Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll address the second part first, actually, because when people think about racing, they think of it very much as an individual sport. You know, they, they think of it like golf or like tennis, where it's one person, you know, and, and it's they're mainly in control. And that's actually a little misleading because it takes about 20 people for me to get my indie car on a racetrack and, and fire it up and go racing wow. from the, wow. the people that help manufacture and assemble it back at the factory and the truck drivers that bring it to the racetrack to the mechanics that set it up and manage it there, the engineers that give them all the, the guys over the, over the wall doing the pit stops. One person doesn't do their job right. We're in an incredibly competitive environment. There's 20 other guys out there that are going to pounce on that mistake, and you're not going to win if the whole team isn't operating at 10 tenths. And you, know, you take it even a step further, I'm literally strapping myself into a 220-mile-an-hour rocket ship that a bunch <laughs> of other people have put together. Exactly. Uh-huh. That's what I'm wondering about. You know, you, you've yeah. got to trust the guys that you're working with because my life's in their hands. I love that aspect of it. I mean, so it's, it, it is, it, it is in a lot of ways, like the epitome of a team sport. Um, so yeah, so, so it is very technologically advanced. As you said, I mean, the cars have a hundred sensors on them that are constantly beaming data back. Engineers are going through it. It's, it's, it's incredibly labor intensive in that sense. But the, the feeling of being on the racetrack is a tough one to, uh, a tough one to really explain because the other, the other misleading thing that people think about racing on top of it being an individual sport is that drivers aren't athletes because they, they can only compare it to driving a road car, which, yes, is not physically very challenging. Um, anybody can grab a basketball, stand at a three-point line, miss nine out of ten shots and say, hey, Steph Curry's really good at his mm. job, Right. But so few people get the opportunity to try and actually drive a car at its limit to know how challenging it is. It's mentally incredibly challenging to, to find that limit. And then when you get into this level of the sport, the physicality is huge. Our cars don't have power steering, right? And because we generate downforce, the faster we go, the heavier that steering gets. So we essentially have two airplane wings on the car that are flipped upside down. So the faster we go, wow. the car doesn't lift up, it gets squashed mm-hmm. into the ground. So we'll corner at, say, 3G. So a 1,500-pound race car is now cornering. It weighs 4,500 pounds. You don't have power steering. So you're wrestling that thing around that corner. For the sake of argument, let's say your head weighs 10 pounds. You're going through that corner. Well, now your neck's got to hold up 30 pounds. Your legs are unsupported. And so you're very delicately balancing the pedals, gas, and brakes. So you have to be able to support your legs with your core and your leg strength. And that's just that's all those hmm. muscles are working simultaneously for one corner of one lap. We could have a track that's got 15 corners and do it for 90 laps. So you're working awesome. very hard over that lap. Your heart rate gets up. And we're not like hockey where it's you know flat out for a two-minute shift and then you sit on the bench for a bit. It's not football where it's explosive for you know, 10, 15 seconds and you regroup. Mm-hmm. We're out there doing that for anywhere from two to four hours depending on the length of the race. So it. your cardio needs to be like marathon status. So we have to go today, six days a week to make sure we're fit enough to race these things at the absolute limit. So when you're out there, you're fighting all these G-forces, you're, you're flying around the racetrack at 200 plus miles an hour, 
basically the best way to describe it, wizard, to a layman or mm. someone who hasn't done it, it's like flying a fighter jet around a gymnasium. <laughs> I love that. Can you actually do that? <laughs> no, that, I, I get it. it. That's, uh, I love it. I, that, I, that really puts it in perspective. It does. That's an awesome description. I, I Basically, one of the things you get out, it's, it's, and it comes down to you're not, you're not there racing them other boys in those cars. You're, you're racing that car. You're seeing who can handle that car the best. Oh, Absolutely. Sure. It's a huge, it's a huge thing about the compatibility like between man and machine, you know, and how do you get the most out of yours? How do you connect with yours the best? And for sure. The, but the thing is, it's again, it's, it is kind of like golf in the sense that you're not against one opponent, right? So like if you play football mm -hmm. or basketball or tennis, you either win or you lose, right? That's, there's no, there's no other way around it. In racing, you can come second, third, fourth, you've got to beat everybody every weekend it's like having it's like every single weekend is the super bowl or the world series because you've got to be all the teams in the entire every single week that's cool i like that i like that aspect of it it's one of the coolest things there i want to take a step back a little bit for you and you said at the beginning of the interview this is the only thing you've ever wanted to do i mean since the time you were a kid can you describe the hurdles and just the the drive and how you knew, right? How you knew this was it and this is what you want to do and there was nothing that was going to get in your way to get there. Can you describe a little bit of that for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out if it's, if it's what I really want to do. I'll, I'll let you know. What I, uh, <laughs> well, that's what you want to do right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's working for right now. But, um, he got excited about those other options I gave him. <laughs> I've been really thinking about that figure eight race. Um, no, it's it, it's it's a very difficult sport to break into because it is so expensive to do it. Uh, there are so many barriers to entry in motorsports. It's not fair. It's actually a terrible sport as 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 the guy in it. Uh, it's great, great to point. watch. It's super entertaining. But uh, it's it is so tough, you know. Like if you're if you're insanely good at basketball, you could play high school basketball for some no name school in some podunk town somewhere. But someone's gonna hear about it, and through social media or the internet somehow, someone's gonna find you, and you will end up going to a good college, and you will end up playing pro ball if you're that good. Mm. For all we know, the best racing driver that's ever lived maybe never even got to race a car. Because wow. getting to do it, even at the most basic level mm. of go-karting, can be incredibly expensive. So the, the hurdles that every driver's had in his career or her career is, is the sponsorship element of it. You know, a, a very famous racing driver, Jackie Stewart, three-time F1 champion, said, you know, you've got to be 80% businessman, 20 to go racing. You could be the best guy ever, and no one's going to know about it. So as, as a young kid coming up, you are constantly facing adversity and trying to find those sponsor dollars. You're constantly getting told no, um, trying to sell these companies on, you know, giving you money to go racing is a very, very tough thing to do. And, you know, I started sitting in at boardrooms when I was 17 years old, trying to essentially sell myself as an ambassador and try and sell my sport as a marketing vehicle for these companies. And like I said, there's a lot of rejection to that. You know, there's a lot of times where I thought my career was over because we just ran out of cash. There just wasn't the money to do it. Wow. And a lot of guys kind of meet that fate in their racing career. 
But it's like anything, you know, there's no substitute for hard work. There's no substitute for persistence and the ones that keep pushing and keep working hard and maximize those opportunities when they come up. Those are the ones that ultimately, you know, make it. And like I said, there were, there were times where I thought it was all done and then some saving grace would come, door would close, window open, you know, whatever, you know, whatever analogy you want to use. And every time I was put in that situation, I just did everything I could to maximize that opportunity and try and prove that I belong to be there. I, I love how he, he talks about the maximizing opportunity, right? We've had a lot of guests come on and, and say, because of the hard work, the determination, chasing the dream, the greater sense of purpose, you know, you create opportunities for you. But it is capitalizing in the moment when the stress is highest, when, you know, you if you don't do it this time, it could be all over. Do you have you found that mm. that you thrive in that space? And if you do, what are some examples that can teach that to other people? Well, so I, I, you know, one of the one of the stories that I kind of like telling about you know my career and coming up is so I so understandably uh, my parents looked at me when I was young and said I want to you know be a race car driver and they said well that's not the most secure guaranteed career choice <laughs> so we're going to keep you in school until as late as possible i said fair enough so like all through school i had to maintain an 80 average or else my car got taken away um and i i did what a lot of drivers don't do by the time you, you you're you know ready to go off to college you're usually pretty involved in your racing career and so most most drivers don't even attempt college I did. I, I didn't have a professional gig yet, and so my parents were like, "Hey, you're not making money driving. You got to go to school." So I went to university, and uh, about a, a year and a half into my into my time in college, uh, I got an offer from a from a team. It was kind of one below the IndyCar level. They were associated with an IndyCar team, fully paid sponsor, like a dream opportunity. This kind of opportunity that you just can't you know you can't miss, and it doesn't come up again. And I wanted to maximize it. I didn't want to be wasting energy on trying to keep my grades up in school and missing out on this opportunity. So I went to my parents and I said, hey, look, I've got this opportunity. I want to put school on hold and see how this works. If I'm going to do this, I want to commit myself 100% to it. So they said, all right, go to your school, see what kind of deal you can work out and let us know. So I went to the school, explained the situation. They said, no problem. Come back anytime in the next five years and pick up where you left off. So I go to mom and dad. I said, here's the deal. They're like, cool. You've got five years to make a living driving cars, or you're going back to school. So fast forward. So I'm so I'm sitting here as a you know a cocky nineteen year old, being like, no problem. We'll be we'll be you know professional in a year and making money. It'll be great. <laughs> Apparently, plans don't go exactly like that. And you know, 2008 hit, which uh, hurt everybody. And the first thing to go in companies' expenses is frivolous things like motorsports programs, race cars, exactly. <laughs> and so the whole racing world took a huge hit right when I was about to make my jump pro. So, you know, so fast forward four years and four and a half years, and I've been racing the, the level one below IndyCar, Indy Lights, had a really good season, finished second in the championship, closest margin to the champion in, in history. And an IndyCar team calls me up and they say, hey, we like you, we like what you've done, we want to give you a test. So this is one of those opportunities we talk about. This is everything right. that I've done mm. is to get a call from an IndyCar team and a chance to get in one of those cars and prove what I can do. So I prepare as best I can. We go to this test. 
this team has already hired one driver, a 10-year veteran, and they want a rookie driver to be his teammate and kind of have the, you know, the old and, old and young kind of set up. So we go to this test in Florida, and at the end of the test, I was a tenth of a second faster than my teammate, who was a 10-year veteran, wow. first time in the car. And I'm like, I, I walked away from that moment. So I guess to answer one of your questions, awesome. I sort of thrived in that one. You know, I, I had this opportunity that really mm-hmm. was for me a make or break career moment. And, and I did everything that I had to do and, and nailed it. Pretty cool feeling when it comes all together at that moment, right? Most 100%. Of the, time that the moment jumps in front of you and you go at it. And, you know, when you hit, hit the wall or for whatever reason, you don't perform like you thought you should have. I can get to you, man, but. When, when it all comes together at the moment it was supposed to, that, that, that's kind of a, there's a yeah. feeling. Unlike yeah. anything, anything else. else. Yeah. Yeah. No, no feeling like it, you know? And, and I walked away from that moment thinking I, I've done it. Like I, I, for the last 15 years, I've worked towards essentially this goal and I just got that opportunity and, and nailed it. And the team sat me down the next week and they're like, look, incredible job. We love you. We're going to sign you. I said, awesome. I'm an IndyCar driver. But then they said, we don't have any money though. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> we can fix it. You didn't like, say you wanted to be a paid IndyCar driver, okay? <laughs> no, no, no. We're, worse than that. Not even just they didn't have enough money to pay me. They didn't have, have enough money to run the car. Oh, my god! So we didn't have a sponsor to go racing. So, like, all right, well, we got a couple months. We'll figure this out. Long story short, the drop-dead date to get a car on the, on the truck to go down to the first race in Florida came and went, and we didn't have a sponsor. And I went down to the race as a member of the team without a car, absolutely devastated. And I sat there watching all the cars drive around. And I thought to myself, you know what? It's been four and a half years. Come September, my five years is up and I've got to go back to school. This is in April. Yeah. And um, I thought, you know what? What's meant to be is meant to be. Clearly, this wasn't it. I did everything that I could do in my power, everything I could physically do. To, to put myself in the right position, to get the opportunity, to maximize the opportunity, and it didn't all come together. I guess that's life. I'm not the first guy in the history of motorsports that has that story. I'll enjoy the summer, travel around with the team, have one kind of last hurrah, and then I'm going to be back to the books come September. And I had to like almost kind of accept that. And 24 hours later, a company called back and said, yeah, we're in. When's the next race? And I made my IndyCar debut the next race awesome story very cool awesome i love that <laughs> i was like four months away from going back to school the whole the whole concept of and just so many people hit that moment where it's just like man i i'm not it but you always hear the stories like yours or other people that come on well i just stuck it out for a couple more weeks or or just six more months and it all happened that's I. That's the never quit mindset. You know what happens when you stick never it out quit. that extra is you you actually go through the emotions of the the good and the bad part of it. Not getting your ride, getting your ride, not having money, and it, those those uh, peaks and valleys, right? Yep. But just stay in the course, just that cut, that straight line, just to see what let's just just to see what happens, man. Let's just play this out. There's always more time than you think. That that's that's a beautiful statement. And when they right say there. drop dead time, man, we're not there yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, we're getting close. Well, close is not there yet, kind of deal. Yeah. And so you get that emotional ride and the knowledge that comes with it, right? You you appreciate the fact that I didn't have one, but now I do. When and when they're that close together, why it makes you appreciate uh, 
all of it in its entirety, right? Infinitely it's, it's not suffering in sure. one I mean, or celebrating in another. Oh, yeah. You see these examples of guys where their story was a little more straightforward. Either they had somebody that backed them from a young age or their families were wealthy enough to get it all done or they just were in the right place at the right time and always landed that sponsor and never kind of faced that adversity. And they get to that top level and they think that they think that it's just owed to them to be there. Do you know what I mean? Like they've almost yeah. got this sense of entitlement. I, I, and I hate to say it like that, but that's almost what it's like. And those guys, once you get to the top level and you're up against all these other guys that have been through so much to get there, they get buried, man. Buried. When, you're up, when you're up against the younger guys that are still coming up or whatever, you can race against them. You can have that attitude. That's fine. But when you get to the pros at this level, the sheer grit and determination of the guys that had to fight tooth and nail to get there wins nine times out of ten over the kid that just got there kind of too easily. I love that. Oh, man. I love that. When your reputation far exceeds your talent, you're going to be in trouble, especially when you step into the deep end of the pool. And that is that is the bad part about it. Uh, to their credit, though, when you know that's all they hear. Like, hey, this, mm-hmm. is, you know, this is your ride. You're taking this. They, you have to tell them that, right? I would imagine, especially the, fought, the lineage in y'all's sport is pretty heavy, too, right? For you know, sure. Legacies down the board. They see granddaddy, grand, uh, you know, great grandfather, father. What they do, man. You know, them guys are winners. You're talking about alphas here, man. They're not going to say that you, you're not going to earn your your stripes. I mean, you're going to be the best. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all. But as you keep telling them that without putting them out there and letting them prove it, you know, the baseline, right? Yes. Building, building it together. Yeah. You got to mm-hmm. have. I mean, one of those can't go ahead of the other. Otherwise, you're. Well, I think every guest get, get we've you in had, trouble. every guest, we, yeah, it doesn't exist, right? For sure, they crush, they get crushed mentally and and on the track. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of examples of guys that had the talent, but you're right, they didn't have that that counsel. They didn't have that person that was keeping them in check on the way up, and they they get beat mentally more than they do even on talent. Yeah. I love it. Mine's holding them back. Yeah. Well, James, I but before we wrap it up here, I, I wanna I just ask you one more thing or a couple more things. What one in particular for our listeners? There are a lot of people out there right now that you know are listening to your story and like, my gosh, the guy had been you know committed since young age. He almost died. He's back in the car. He's still pushing hard. What does James do every day? What does he say to himself every single day that to get back in that vehicle, to push harder the next day, to elevate his game, to to live in that never quit space? So what are some things that you utilize and tap into every single day to maintain? You know, it's funny. I, I pull back and draw from that feeling that I had standing there at that first race without a car almost accepting that it was over and realizing that that's how that's how hard I had to work to get here you know and I wake up every day getting to say I'm an IndyCar driver all I ever wanted to do and all I worked for 15 20 years trying to make happen and so hmm. you know you, you wake every day you know, like you say you're you're above the ground and uh, and I get a, I get to say this is what I do I draw off that feeling, you know, and it's almost, it's almost a bad way to say it, but you almost, it's almost living in fear that it's going to get taken away. Oh you know, no, it's totally that. I love that. That's, that's what, what pushes you, you. That's what motivates Damn. you. You know, it's like you don't, and I, and I, I almost knew what that was like before it even started. 
And then I almost knew what that was like again when I got hurt because there was that brief period where I didn't know. Like I woke up looking at hospital lights with a tube down my throat. I didn't know if I was ever going to sit in a race car again. And I've, I've, I've been in enough moments where I almost lost it. You know, And you want to motivate somebody, take something they've worked their entire life trying to get away from them. I love that. That's profound, brother. Well, James, man, it is just your outlook and your mindset is exactly what our show is all about. And and we just can't thank mm-hmm. you enough for coming on, sharing your story. Where can our listeners find you and follow you and start rooting for you and just be a part of the Hengetown, man? Can you share them with, with that? <laughs> I mean, Hinchtown's the place to go. You know, it's uh, it's at Hinchtown on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, Hinchtown.com. You know, it's my my mythical, magical little city that I'm the self-proclaimed mayor of. I love so, being yeah. a member of Hinchtown. Uh, dude, well, I yeah. love it. Your residents moving in. <laughs> there you go. It's no speed limits. It's a great place to be. I love it. Well, sir, thank you so much, and we'll be rooting and cheering for you, and I can't wait to see you again sometime on a track in the future, brother. God bless. Thanks, brother. Thanks, guys. Real privilege. Thanks uh, Thanks for letting me on. Really appreciate it. Oh, it was on this end. Believe me. Great talk we'll to you. We'll be rooting for you now, brother. Amen. Take care. Thanks, Take guys. Take care, James. First off, anybody that just wants to go that fast on a regular basis you're right they're not wired right <laughs> and who is right especially in our world but that's another issue mm. dude I, I i had a friend who let me go up he, had, he owned two migs took me up one we pulled we pulled like for five seconds uh 12 g it was like this crazy barrel loop thing he did almost blacked out was like go you know you, you push force all that Are blood you down here yeah, you know and you're like, and and I was, but when we landed on the ground, dude, I was, I was a mess for like oh. hours, dude. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, they're all, those pilots, man, they are cool, bro. Cause oh. when they jump out, throw those aviators on there in their flight suit and they're good. Yeah. Their body's used to that. We I was green I like and vomit on myself. Exactly. <laughs> hung, hung over and felt like I've been, punk, you know, whipped and worked out for three days. That kind of deal. <laughs> and I, I think I, I passed out in that Williams turn. Right. And he was, you know, he's messing with me. And I'm like, I'm in here. <laughs> and when, you, when you're learning, when, when you first go in, they're teaching you how to do the hick maneuver. He's like, hey, you need to tighten up your thing. And, you just, and yeah. he's kind of, it looks ridiculous. You're like, I ain't doing that. I'm too cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Buddy. You're doing it. Oh, my God. Well, I think another component that was really cool about him, too, was the fitness levels. Right, Wizard? I mean, when you think about that, that's remarkable. I mean, the amount of time and the effort and the exhaust that was what I thought it was I thought that was really interesting. The stamina and endurance. Well, he required was talking about how they, they don't think that keep racing going is, like that. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't naturally and that's kind of why I asked that question to to get more of an idea, because a lot of people out there aren't, aren't gonna have any re- reference for what he does other than a movie. You know? <laughs> what are so, the movies? I think that's that really, really interesting. It's just kind of shot at them. I mean, they, they are this, athletes, right? What was the Sylvester Stallone movie? What was it called? Fire Crack Up? What? No. Driven. Driven, dude. Driven. I liked it. That was good. Right. Flip, he flips that dime on the track. <laughs> Wait a second. Totally out of spec. I wanted to say that you got the physical aspect of it, yep. but the focus and the mental element Crazy. that you have to combine that with, 
over what is the length? Uh, four, I mean, obviously, two, four 500 hours. laps in Indy 500, but what is the time of that race? Uh, Do you remember? General, four hours. General length. Yeah, four is one of the longest. It's a long time to maintain that. Bro, at that, that speed? That razor's edge level of focus, because that's really what those guys are pushing those. They're pushing their equipment as close to that line as they can. Absolutely. I was under the impression that, that that car, because it looks so sleek and sexy and the way it drives and hugs, hugs a track, that that thing was, you know, you're racing the other guys. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm talking about the cars. Yeah. That's, they built this car and it's red. I, you know, I didn't know he's out there fighting that damn car. Well, that <laughs> was what <laughs> blew what me away, too. You can drive that, just wrestle that car into gear and get it through there. That's, and they are athletes, man. I, like we were talking about when they say that the drivers aren't athletes, that's just people poking Shots at him, I think, man, because anybody who's actually been down there and seen those jokers have to deal with that. Oh, man, bro, dude, that's why my buddy, <laughs> my buddy Jim, dude, he he, like he swears by these guys. I mean, they he crushes them, and they push themselves harder and harder well, and harder. You've harder. been out there, Indy, right? You were, yeah, you, last you did year. something related to a pit crew. No, right? I was, was I I was so blessed. Taya Kyle invited me to be a part of of the Chris Kyle Foundation. We we had this wonderful pit crew. That she brought together first responders, a bunch of vets, um, got together, uh, and we were a pit crew, and we were actually competing in the pit, the pit crew competition. And I got some exposure cool. to what the indie thing is, yeah. man. And it, the 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 other thing is just like, what do you say? A hundred data points feeding data. Your crew, your pit crew, you know, putting wheels on and off because every second. It's critical, right? I mean, it's a game of a hundredths of seconds. And to have all of this functioning at one time with this incredible athlete in the car, and and mind you, 19 or 20 other dudes going 200 miles an hour around you, it's mm -hmm. one of the coolest sports out there, bro. Yeah. I think. Well, it boils down to, the, it's man, it's... Yeah, the driver, he's in there to, and that's what you see, but it's literally all of those 20 people competing at the, against the other 20, right? It's, right. You, all oh, of them the guys have to against be the teams. pros. Yeah. Right? They're all pros. Right. And the I, other the other part, part that I thought was so interesting was, and he mentioned it, talking about <laughs> he's got this team that's responsible for all these components that are surround making this car do a race, stay out there on the track and be safe, and how much faith he has to put in all those oh. people have done their job correctly because it's his ass. Well, what what if Bob, you know, your your ratchet guy, goes out the night before a big race, yeah. gets gets hammered, right? You know, misses muster, huh. comes in late, he's dogging it, you know, he hasn't had his B12 shot, and, you know... Got distracted he, by his yeah, Instagram feed right? and, and just didn't hit the torque spec <laughs> yeah, on that Yeah, he's doing the selfie right. while he's wrenching on the car, right. and, and he misses the torque spec. Night-night. Uh, I, it's crazy, dude. I mean, I, uh, that's Grant, what I mean. That's an incredible amount of faith. It's huge faith, and on top of that, to again, I just keep going back. And and if you have, if you're listening, you want to wa go watch that crash on YouTube, and it's your you shake your head, going, "My God, how is the man not disintegrated?" Right now, kind of like uh, Dana Bowman uh, hitting in the air. Just remember watching him. Dude, oh, they, the, they the, that, that ran into each yeah, other into in each the freefall jump. Oh, when they were tracking down. I don't know if they were in a diamond or what they were doing, right. man. And when they collide, it just looks like a big explosion, like a watermelon kind of blows up, right? And then one dude tumbles over to the side. 
And it's all on video. Oh, my God. And, and you're just like, how can anybody come through that? Right. And he did. And he did. I mean, it's got some hardware. And, it, and same, same thing with this. Hitting that wall that hard, man, and just... Being impaled it's like that. It's that human spirit. Right? You can break Boom. everything around it. But you right? can't break it. But you can't break it. You're the, you can only do that mentally. You can only give up on yourself, right? And I think the minute you kind of do that, like if you're like, oh, this is, I'm not going to be able to make it through this, then I, I think you, that energy kind of goes down because you can fire yourself up and you feel it get bigger. Hmm. If you let that battery get too low when your body's in that state, you'll die. Absolutely. Right, but if, you, if you're just kind of hanging in there, man, like uh, one more second and give your body time to heal because it wants, it wants to heal. It's the most the fuel amazing. back yeah, up. man. And that kind of your soul and your spirit is what tells your body that it's going to be all right. And then your body just lays there and starts to heal. And then you see that. You're like, all right, man, I'm back online, right? And you start pushing forward. But I think if you give up on yourself, man, I mean, hell, what's the point, right? I mean, can anybody, can anybody else help you? you can, they can do all they want. But if you've already given up, man, and your body knows, like you know that yourself, it's, I think you're cutting yourself short because the body doesn't know when it's time to die. Doesn't. Oh man, it, I love that. Your, your mind has to tell it that. I love that. Hmm. I, I I think interesting. That's beyond cool, man. That's perspective, right there. So if you're listening right now, and you're you're banged up, you're struggling through something, you've got an injury, you're you're banged up emotionally, mentally, and your body's not dead. Right? Your mind's not dead. Your heart's not dead. Get back in the fight. Don't quit. Right? That's what this show's about. And that's what James' story today was. He's so passionate. He's so driven to realize his purpose and his dream of being one of the top drivers in the world that he was able to be in one of the most horrific accidents ever and still get back in that car four months later. So the message is you're not completely broken. You're banged up, but you got to get back in the fight. That's the never quit mentality. All right, we've got a reader story today that I think embodies that kind of thing. And so if you gents don't mind. We do. I'm going to read this one for us. Here we go. My name is Jay. I'm from Alabama, and I'm 18 years old. Before I say anything, I would like to thank you guys at the TNQ Podcast for your service and everything you've, you've done for this great country. But I love and appreciate the fact that you guys are still serving people by discussing and breaking down what it takes to have that never-quit mindset. In September of 2015, I was sitting in a healthcare class at my local tech school. My teacher was demonstrating how to use a stethoscope. Man, I've been a doc, a medic for 20 years. I still can't say that word. I'm sorry. You got sphygmomanometer down yet? <laughs> no. I'm going to butcher that one to death. I, I don't even bother trying on that one. Why name that? <laughs> you know, that's just doctors showing that. Hey, man, that's, that's big words, man. That sounds smart. That's because <laughs> they hate us. They hate the knuckle dragon. All right. Sorry about that, Jay. In September 2015, I was sitting in a healthcare class at my local tech school. My teacher was demonstrating how to use a stethoscope. Out of the 30 students in the class, and though through the miracle of Lord above, my teacher picked me to demonstrate how to listen to a patient's heart rate. My teacher had a weird look on her face like something was wrong. My teacher began to inform me that she heard some irregular rhythms and skipped beats. 
So she suggested I go see a cardiologist. With both of my grandmothers having a history of aortic aneurysms and massive heart attacks, I guessed it would probably be a good idea that I see a cardiologist. My doctor said my heart was good for now, but did notice on the chest x-ray that there was something abnormal. He said my chest was caved in and that I have pectus evacuatum, which is a connective tissue disorder where the sternum grows inwards and sinks in the chest wall. I've always been aware of my chest looked like Superman punched me. My cardio doctor referred me to a surgeon that specializes in the condition. And though many lung tests, EKGs, and other tests, my Superman hole was about four inches deep and was restricting my lung capacity and heart function. My lungs had only been acting at 60% my whole life and my heart compressed into a little corner of my chest cavity. So now I had the answer of why I was so dog tired and sweating like crazy just after the first 20 minutes of football practice. I was sitting in a room with my mom waiting to meet the surgeon who entered and placed a laptop on the table of her during, during the surgery of some kind. She said it hurts like hell and then left the room. I'm watching this kid flip all over the operating table as she moves this curved metal bar under his chest and then rotating the bar to pop his chest back out. I said, yep. Sign me up, whatever it takes to breathe normal. I found myself getting a metal bar shoved in my chest in May of 2016, a week in the ICU, six different pain medications, six months of recovery, two months bedridden, two months of my parents having to move my big ass in and out of bed. My parents showered me and practically everything else except fed me. But when I woke up from surgery, I took the first deep breath of my life, kind of a similar to the episode with Justin Legg. Every day I had to make myself not quit, keep my goal in my mind to make it back for basketball season. Two months later, I was progressing and getting ready to start my first day of physical therapy, but I had a knot come up on my side where the metal bar in my chest had slipped out of place. And I find myself in pre-op room the next day to start the whole process over again. Everything I'd work for right in front of me. But all summer, I would watch Marcus's speeches on YouTube. Sitting in the pre-op room, I told myself what Marcus said. He told himself during the op, quit being a bitch and get up. Some things went south during the surgery when removing the old metal bar the bar punctured my lung and chest wall slammed back down into its old position and knocked my heart rate down to a critically low rate long story short i eventually fought my way back by applying the never quit mindset to tackle the pain and turn it into a positive i played my senior basketball with my new chest and i could play all game long with a new with that new breathing so Still to this day, I meet teens at my local county that have the same condition as I did. Every person I tell my story to, I I describe the never quit attitude and the TNQ community. I want to spread my story not to receive any pity or applause, but to help people with my condition and inform them that there is a solution. Thank you and God bless you guys. Jay. That's awesome, man. Yeah. <clears throat> that's that's tough, man. That job, Jay. Having that, we got a couple of buddies. There's some guys in the teams, yeah. and yeah, we know a couple of guys that had that. Whew. 
Have you ever had anything like a pin or where they had to do something with the bone and snap it back or pull nope. all that? Knock on wood. Man, there is a feeling like when you're talking about when it comes, something comes out of you and you have to get in there and start popping stuff like that, man, it is to the bone. That's to the bone, right? Yeah, I, then, I felt that when he described that bar inverting yeah, again. I, I, that was. Oh, man. I, I just love it. I love, Jay, that you faced that and you got a positive attitude. You didn't quit and you kept coming back for more. But what I love most is your willingness to share the story to help others. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to do. That's what you're doing. That's what the whole TNQ podcast community is about. So if you're listening to Jay's story, if you're listening to James' story, if you've listened to our stories, please don't be afraid. Write into us. Go to our website at TNQ Podcast and submit your never quit story so we can use it. Read it on here if it's awesome. And if it's really great, Marcus, bring him on. Bring you on. To help other people discover the never-quit mindset in themselves. What a great show, man. I feel so blessed today. James was awesome. I just want to start out and, again, give thanks to God and Christ, my girls. Thank my parents, my family, my close friends. Thank Jim Leo again for bringing James. I want to thank James. I want to thank Jay for writing in. Thank the two of you. Man, because what we're doing, man... We're helping people in the biggest way, and I'm just so blessed and thankful for that. It was, man. I enjoyed that. It's it's craziest thing, man, because we're getting fired up and find some of that. I guess that sick enjoyment. Listen, to that dude talk talk about how he got jacked up, right? He's like, <laughs> then the bar went through my. I was like, oh, that was awesome, man. I bet that shit hurt. God, no, man. <laughs> but it's true, right, man? And it's in those worst scenarios and situations, especially when the person comes out and tell you about it. And then they keep pushing forward afterwards. It just gives you that reassurance, man, that, hell, I thought I had it bad. And then you find, hear something like that, and he, he pushed it further and made it out of there. So don't give up on yourself. Because once you do that, man, I mean, it's all over. So thank you guys for coming on here. And, and, and keep coming back and keep having us back and letting us do this. This is I can't, this coolest job in the world, man. I ain't even going to lie. Just getting to hear these stories and, and watch the expressions on their face, right, when they're telling. Because you know they're dug in. Some of them, man, they get to you. Uh, deep. It's one hell of a ride, guys. Thank y'all for doing it. I'm out. I'm out. LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.